the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. Welcome to a new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Stephanie Dolmat, who is a senior director of ESG for Robert Half. She was also a founding member of the Girls Club Mastermind, and she's an all-around impact badass. Stephanie and I talked about stuff from how she got back into birding as an adult to the role of translation in the sustainability profession, and ways that women can support other women. I just know you're going to enjoy my conversation with Stephanie as much as I did. Another episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I am so excited to be sitting down today with just like a total ray of sunshine of a human, Stephanie Dolmet. Uh, she's the senior director of ESG at Robert Half, someone I've known for the past several years, maybe longer, um, and who's just like such a positive presence in my world. I'm really excited for you all to get to meet her too. Welcome to the podcast, Stephanie. Thanks so much for having me, Liz, and hi, listeners. Yay. Um, well, actually, before we jump in, for any of our listeners who may not know you and your amazingness yet, um, would you mind giving a brief introduction? Sure. So, Stephanie Dolnat, I am calling in from the mountains of Park City, Utah, uh, where I live, and I am, uh, as Liz mentioned, um, in ESG and sustainability. I've been in that for now over a decade, uh, and I am really passionate about uh, nature, about, um, I get pretty into politics sometimes, and <laughs> I'm also really passionate about plant-based food. I love it. We're going to go deeper on all of those things, um, and before we do, I definitely want to hear more about like what all you are up to and how you came to be doing all the things that you're currently up to. But my favorite question to start out with is, since this is the Women Changing the World podcast, if you could change one thing about the world, what would be your one thing? Ooh, it's tough to pick just one thing. I know. I mean, you can totally choose to. I'm not like really a stickler for the rules here. (laughs) You know, because there's so many intersecting things that the world is facing, I think what I would love to change about the world is if humans had a widely shared vision of what a strong global community that takes care of each other looks like. And we actually lived that vision because uh, that would encompass so much of what we're facing, including climate change, war, addressing trauma, racial justice, 
you name it. I think I, I would love to have a shared vision of the future. Ah, I love that so much. And I honestly think too, like, even if humans just all felt like a community, like that would be pretty cool. <laughs> right. Global community being one of the uh, needed points to get there. <laughs> totally, totally. I, I, but I love that. Um, well, I would love if you don't mind sharing for our listeners, like, if you could just break down, I know that you have a lot of like, you are doing a very interesting job. It's arguably a dream job, I think, to a lot of people. Um, I know you also do some really cool stuff on the side of that job. Um, would you be willing to tell us a little bit about like what you're up to in the day to day these days? Yeah, sure. So by day, I uh, am in sustainability and ESG at a global Fortune 500 firm, uh, Robert Half. Um, Robert Half is a $6 billion uh, talent staffing and consulting firm. And uh, it's I've been here now for six months today, actually. Oh, wow. Um, Happy yeah. anniversary. Work anniversary. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I am loving it. And it's been a really great move. Um, so that's what I do in my day job is really to uh, help across the company um, understand and amplify all of the ways uh, we operate um, with integrity as a company. Um, in the volunteer realm, I have many different sort of passions in that area. Uh, I serve on the board of Swanner Preserve and Eco Center, which is a local uh, 1200 acre or uh, nature preserve. And a lot of that is about uh, education of both um, young and old alike about the connection um, to nature. And uh, that's a really incredible piece of what I do is to really bring um, the beauty and value of nature uh, to a wider audience um, as that. I also uh, am, can be, I have been quite involved in politics, local politics in the past. I've taken a bit of a needed break um, from that, but I still write letters and postcards um, to voters uh, encouraging people to vote. Uh, I do that through groups like Color of Change and uh, the Environmental Voter Project. Oh, very cool. I, I am also a sucker for a please vote postcard. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun. And you can also um, do it while listening to podcasts or watching TV shows and still know you're making a difference for our democracy. Totally, totally. I love that. Um, well, I would love to hear, and I know politics will, also, I imagine, be a part of this story too, but like about like your journey, I know that you've had a really interesting journey to get to where you are today. Um, so the invitation really is like, take up space, tell us the whole story, as much of the story as you want to tell us. Um, but how does one come to be, you know, doing what you're up to today? Yeah, it's a great question. And you know, I think it really started when I was young. Uh, my mom really taught my brother and I a lot about what was surrounding us outdoors in nature. I mean, I'm a kid who knew what a rose-breasted grosbeak bird looked like and sounded like. <laughs> okay, so not oh just my <laughs> I love that. My mom really tried to get me to know that and I was not having it. <laughs> well, it was funny because I almost didn't realize how much of it I knew until I was an adult and I could, you know, basically walk down a path and point out, you know, hollyhocks and sweet alyssum and all of these different types of flowers, um, not just, you know, generic sunflowers or something like I actually realized that I knew quite a bit more than uh, I would have ever given myself credit for. Um, so you know, that that was really a foundational element is um, 
learning at a young age to notice the things that were around me outside, you know, whether it was trees or flowers, plants and, and birds and animals. Um, so I would say when I went on to college and I, I moved on to other interests um, and, and really lost, I would say, that, that piece of it, um, which I think was driven both by a combination of perfectionism, I'm a recovering perfectionist, uh, as well as kind of a drive for adventure. Um, so I was lucky enough to attend uh, an Ivy League school. I was a four-year letter winner in field hockey there. Um, I graduated cum laude. It was always sort of focused on this uh, type of achievement. Um, I will also say I had many negative coping skills at that time. <laughs> I was very bewildered by sort of my own emotions and what was happening um, to me. I couldn't really make sense um, a lot of what was happening to me internally and really had framed my life around, I would say, external validation. Um, but one uh, of the How really... human of you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, you know, that being said, one of the big um, shifts I made was actually after graduating, because most people from my school, um, there were a lot of people that became doctor, went to uh, medical school, went to law school, um, became an investment banker. And my mom was the one who encouraged me. She said, you have your whole life to do things like that. Um, it would be great. You know, I, I encourage you to go do something adventurous. And so I did. I actually spent three years teaching English in France. Uh, both at the elementary school level, the middle school level, middle and high school, and at co the collegiate level. So oh, really... cool. I did not know this about you. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that was a really wonderful experience. I got to travel a lot around Europe in the summers. I um, helped with luxury bicycle tours uh, in France and Italy and Switzerland. So it was uh, really adventurous and a fun thing to do to get away from, you know, the sort of day-to-day -day expectations um, that I had placed on myself uh, then. Um, and I, I was also lucky enough to uh, work as a consultant during that time. Um, and two of the uh, two of the people that worked on the bicycle tours with me actually lived in Park City, and it had always been a dream of mine uh, growing up in New England to um, be a ski instructor. So they were like, why don't you come out to Park City and uh, do that? And it all drives from this one woman who was a ski instructor when I was young. Her name was uh, Maggie, and she worked at Sunday River. So Maggie, if you're out there listening, you changed my entire life because you made me want to be a ski instructor at some point. And so I moved to Park City and got to work and ski in the best snow, working with people who came from all over the globe. Uh, it was just a really international um, cultural experience right here in Utah that I would never have expected. And uh, it, was, it was great. And uh, so I did, so that was sort of my five years of fun, I would say, <laughs> after college. And I visited my brother at uh, the University of Vermont. He was finishing up his undergraduate degree in environmental studies. And I went to a few of his classes with him. And it was this incredible light bulb moment. I was like, you get to learn about nature and the environment? This is so <laughs> cool. So it really harkened back to that time, you know, when I was young. And, uh, you know, my brother said, hey, Steph, you know, there's... Uh, degrees in this. 
uh, master's degrees, you, you should look into that. And the rest is sort of history. I applied to grad schools, ended up going to uh, UC Santa Barbara, as I know you're a graduate of as well, (laughs) and went to the Bren School of Environmental Science and Management, which is an interdisciplinary program looking at uh, sustainability in the environment um, through the lens of how uh, the science, the politics, the behavior change um, policy, how all of those things intersect. And it was just an incredible uh, life-changing experience for me, learning about how our world actually works and uh, life-changing in other ways too. Uh, I met my uh, life partner there. Um, we like to sort of freak people out and say that we met on Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I don't think I knew this about you. I have one of my like closest, longest friends I met on Craigslist. <laughs> Every year we like write each other like our birthday cards, like so grateful to Craig. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we actually were, uh, I moved into a, um, I rented a room in a house where he was also renting a room. Oh, I love it. (laughs) We have always been roommates, (laughs) Um, which is great. So we, um, he really helped support me through, uh, through my master's degree, uh, we wanted to move to New Zealand after that, um, couldn't quite get enough points to be able to do the immigration thing at that time. Um, so we ended up moving back to Park City together and uh, because we wanted to be in a place, you know, that um, where we'd have all this access to the outdoors. And, you know, Utah is, uh, especially back then, had a very uh, small but you know tight knit group of people who were really focused on the environment. So I was lucky enough to be able to get into operational sustainability here in Utah, first at a county level, helping to run renewable energy programs uh, and other energy programs, and then at the University of Utah, which has. Uh, about 50,000 people that come to its campus each day. So a lot of opportunities for focusing on um, renewable energy, energy efficiency, water use, and really working with people to drive behavior change um, in a positive way. So that was uh, a wonderful experience. I met some great people at the university. And um, Connor, my partner, and I thought that we were on the path to move actually to San Francisco and I would get a a sustainability job there. And then our world completely shattered when my mom died uh, very suddenly one day. So we didn't end up moving to California. It was a very tumultuous time. We ended up moving back East to take care of a lot of um, the things that needed to be taken care of because she was in the prime of her life. Uh, She owned her own law practice. Um, It was we wanted to be closer to my brother and sister-in-law who were expecting their first child, my now niece. And so it was just a really uh, tough time. But in that time, because we had been going to move to San Francisco, I actually got a job um, at Cushman and Wakefield on the Adobe account uh, doing global operational sustainability um, for them. So was able to continue my career uh, remotely um, from the East Coast. And, um, you know, that that was a great experience, again, to be able to really move into the corporate sustainability world. Ended up taking some time off um, 
Well, I was going to say, I can't imagine (laughs) how you were, I didn't realize that that was when that transition was happening and how you were managing that job and everything else that was happening in your life. It was something I'd really like to not repeat because Mm. it was doing too many, too many jobs at once. Um, It was a really stressful time. It really impacted a lot of uh, areas of my life. And if I were to go back and do it again, I would um, take care of myself much more than I I did at that time. And I will say that it also taught me a lot, right? Uh, That there, there's nothing I can't do, but now I know that there are things that I don't want to do. Mm. (laughs) I don't have to do it all. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I want to underline that. So we did end up, um, I did end up taking some time off. Um, I, we ended up moving back to Utah during that, uh, after a few years at Adobe on the Cushman Wakefield. And I actually ran a U.S. congressional campaign. I was the campaign manager, uh, which was a super awesome experience. Um, met so many incredible people across the state of Utah and really, you know, worked to, it was something I just jumped into having had, you know, project management skills. Um, so a campaign is much like a, you know, project, but uh, really launched myself into that and re uh, found my love of uh, communications, I would say, and writing because um, a campaign is nothing if not a, an exercise in strategic comms all day, every day, mm-hmm. you have to be on message. <laughs> so that was, uh, really fun. And while I was doing that, uh, I was asked back to Adobe um, on their corporate social responsibility team into the wider world of ESG, uh, which was uh, en- ended up being really interesting for me because I got to see not just the operational side, but how all of the different areas across environmental, social, and governance intersect with each other. Uh, you know, accessibility and uh, ha- of products and how that intersects with, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, or how, you know, you can be looking at um, sustainability from, a, you know, a product perspective, or maybe from a um, equity perspective. So really just broaden, broadening my view of sustainability in a way that I've really enjoyed. So I was, uh, I led ESG there for three years, and then six months ago, um, took this new role as senior director of ESG at Robert Half. And, you know, I would say so much of this success has been built on the relationships I've built across the way. I just feel like I have incredible friends, family, and colleagues who I I love, and I can just say that my, my cup is so full. Oh, that's so awesome. I thank you so much for sharing all that. And it makes me so happy to hear that. I feel like you of all the people in my world are just like such an embodiment of women supporting women energy and generosity and like paying it forward and connecting dots. Um, and so I'm curious, like, do you have any thoughts as to like what we can do collectively to like lift up more amazing women in our day-to-day lives? you know me, I am always, you know, here for rooting for other women. I think some of the most concrete things I can recommend 
are really passing along opportunities to other women that you know, whether it's, you know, jobs or speakerships or, you know, different opportunities. I'm a connector myself. So I love connecting other people. When I hear, you know, someone talk about something, I'm like, oh, do you want me to introduce you to so-and-so? Because you never know what opportunities that's going to unlock. So that's, you know, something that I would say is a really concrete thing. Um, I, I would also say that checking in on other women is always something uh, that I, I like to do um, just to see how they're doing or just to send somebody a nice handwritten note to let them know you're thinking about them. Um, those small gestures can be really important. And then something I found is that, you know, sharing, uh, I, I've, I've actually done um, in the past couple of years, quite a bit of uh, trauma-based therapy uh, to really get myself into a, a better place and, and to be able to integrate all of the different pieces of myself. And I found that being open to sharing that journey um, with other people has actually been more of a source of support for other people than I would have guessed, because I mm. would have thought like, oh, it's just so related. It's only related to me, but actually opening up and sharing my own journey um, about that you know, it's not about telling others what they should do. It's just really speaking from my own experience. And uh, yeah, that, that's been an incredibly powerful way that I didn't know I really could help support other people and women as well. Uh, totally. I think that's so cool. And like sharing those innermost parts of yourself, I think gives other people permission to do the same and showing up as your full self gives other people permission to show up as their full self. So that's so cool to hear. Yeah, I love I love you framing it that way. Thank you. Yeah, and I wonder too, um, like if you know, you mentioned you made this transition like six months ago. Were there any lessons that you had from like how the process went for you that you think might be helpful for other women who are like considering their next chapters? Well, as you know, I <laughs> certainly had a, a lot of a lot of people who were helping me in different ways particularly you as as an executive coach and that was so helpful for me to have uh, a safe space to be able to talk about uh, and work through what I really wanted from my next move and um, how you know what what would that transition look like and one of the most pivotal moments you know in that it, I'm sure you remember is when we were on the phone you know trying to figure out which of the offers I might want to take and really asking that question, what if it's easy? Mm. You know, my whole life <laughs> I've taken the hard path. And when you and I sat down to look at it, that question, what if it's easy, made the choice just so clear in my mind. So let, letting things be easy and not trying to convince yourself of something being right when you know inside yourself that it isn't. Um, that would be the best advice I can give. It was so transformative for me. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, I was totally not digging for that. <laughs> um, but I know that you sharing that with other people has also been really helpful for them in the process. I think, as you said, like, so I think we're just like, so many of us are hardwired to think that there's like some inherent value or like someone's going to give us a trophy for picking the hardest thing. It's like, no, actually there, like, there is not a trophy in life for choosing the harder thing. No, no trophies. <laughs> I mean, well, you can give yourself a trophy, but nobody really cares about that either. <laughs> <laughs> 
Have you been meaning to expand the circle of amazing women in your network, but it's been hard to find the time to connect consistently? Are you a member of a small team creating a big impact and you wish you had additional brains to tap to think strategically about what's next? Are you craving personal growth, community, and magic in your personal and professional life, but feeling like you don't know where to find it? Imagine if you had dedicated time and space to build relationships with other badass women in impact. Imagine if you had access to a brain trust of rock stars who are ready to help you solve any challenge, personal or professional. Imagine if you had an extended team of like-minded women cheering you on, hyping you up, opening doors, and helping you make your wildest dreams come true. Imagine if you took the time to really invest in yourself and be intentional about the impact you are here to make. The Girls Club Mastermind is a five-month mastermind for women who are changing the world. It is an intimate community of powerful women who are dedicated to lifting each other up. They are your hype women, your cheerleaders, and your extended team. The next round of the Girls Club Mastermind kicks off in April, and you don't want to miss it. Head to elizabethbest.com slash girlsclub. That's E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H-B-E-S-T dot com slash girlsclub to learn more and apply today. Totally. When I think one of the things that I found so inspiring, um, like, you know, as you went along that journey is just like also how many people you connected with and reconnected with and like really and how much you really invested in in your relationships and in relationships that are now allowing you to continue to pay it forward for other people in your world. Ah, the women I know are the best. Uh, I I agree. (laughs) And I totally feel the same. (laughs) Um, well, changing topics a little bit, I mean, oh, there's so much I want to talk to you about, I'm like, how do I choose? Um, but, you know, I, I think one thing that you mentioned right up front that I would love to hear more about, both like selfishly, personally, and in general, um, is I know that you have been a vegan for a while. And I would love to hear about like, when you became one, how's it going? Any like advice for people who are vegan, curious, plant curious, or however you would describe it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it happened back in 2013. And uh, Connor and I were coming back from a road trip uh, to visit some friends. And we were in Idaho, of all places. And we were passing a um, truck that held cows that presumably were going to a slaughterhouse. And there was one of the cows was sticking its little snout out of um, the hole. And, you know, Connor looked at it and he said, doesn't that look a lot like the snout of our dog? And Um, it really launched this, um, ethical discussion that we hadn't had before in our time together. And, you know, we realized that there were quite a few limitations in our own understanding of ethics and morality and what we should be doing. So we had, um, two separate work trips, uh, coming up. He went one place and I went another. And, we decided that we were going to do some reading um, during those trips. And he read some Peter Singer, who's a very well-known philanthropist as well as animal uh, rights. Um, uh, That's what he uh, writes about. And uh, I read Jonathan Safran Foer's Eating Animals book. And Mm. honestly, we came back from that work trip and we looked at each other and we were like, well, I guess we're never eating meat again. (laughs) So, um, and we ended up deciding not just to be vegetarian, but to do the best we could to eat um, and and live vegan values. And 
the thing I would, you know, say is that to anybody who's more curious about it, there's a couple of things. One is that there has never been a better time to be a vegan, even since, you know, uh, what is it? Nine years ago now. Oh my gosh. Absolute... Yeah. From 2013 to now, I imagine yes. it's a world of difference. Where you can basically get, um, you know, if you have a favorite meal that you're like, I don't know if I could give that up. Like, well, you don't have to give it up because there's a, a plant-based version of it now. And um, so I would say, you know, there's never been a better time. And one of the most transformative things about that experience was just how much more interesting we eat now. Um, mm. Before we were kind of stuck in a rut of like, this is, these are the things that we eat. And then it was, you know, a commitment to learn how to cook again or what you can eat. Um, but that has really opened up an entire world of food that I probably never would have tried otherwise. And I just think it's so delicious. So one of my favorite, you know, ways of sharing in this is just to make other people vegan food and people are like, oh, this is so delicious. Like, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> it's really good. Um, and, you know, I, I would also say that of, of course, like nobody's going to be perfect and you shouldn't let perfect be the enemy of good um, because every choice that anyone is making to eat more plant-based um, helps not only our planet, but also helps the animals. It helps your own health. So you don't have to be perfectly vegan, you know, to be making an impact in your own life and in the life of our planet. So Mm, I love that so much is actually just having a conversation this week on the podcast about setting impossible goals. And the fact that like, even if you don't get to 100%, like, if if you shoot for 100%, then you get to 90%. That's still way more impact than if you shot for 75% and hit it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Nobody can be perfect, right? And um, in, in any ways. So you know, you, you just do the best you can. Totally, totally. Well, I wanted to get on like one more personal question before I ask you a couple work work ish ones, um, which is that I know that you in your adult life have reconnected with birding, um, which I think is so interesting. I would love to hear like when that piece of your childhood self came back to you. And I know you've shared with me that it's like taught you about mindfulness. So I'd love to hear more about the connection between those two things. Here's where I'll start. So when Connor and I met, we had these uh, misconceptions about each other. You know, he thought I was sort of this stuck up East Coast um, girl. And I thought, oh my gosh, really? Yes. And I thought he was a California airhead, which was hilarious. (laughs) So what it um, actually turns out is that, you know, we both have this, I would say, nerdiness or geekiness inside of us of wanting to, you know, learn things and, and uh, be able to name the things that we see. And so honestly, we were living in Santa Barbara at the time. Um, we would go, you know, walk down to the beach for sunsets um, fairly frequently. And there'd always be birds, uh, shorebirds in particular. And that was a great place to start for us because they're big in general. Like they're <laughs> fairly identifiable. Um, they aren't moving super quickly like the birds in the trees are. So it was a really good entry point for us. And we um, actually just bought a pair of binoculars and uh, you know, started looking at them. And uh, on the way to the beach, I will never forget this. The first bird we saw through our binoculars um, was a great horned owl in the eucalyptus grove. And it was just incredible to see and uh, w- 
in big with the binoculars to say, oh my goodness, we never would have seen that otherwise. And it just became this kind of thing that we would do, that we would keep expanding you know, the areas that we would look in. So not just at the shore, but then we'd be looking in the trees. And uh, I think the great thing about birds is that no matter where you are in the world, there are birds. So it's something <laughs> that um, you can pay attention to. And it's really been in the pandemic and through the you know extensive therapy that I've been through um, that I've realized how much of a part of my daily meditative practice uh, that birding is. Like I do, you know, separate meditation. And I was actually talking to one of my um, two, I have, I had uh, two amazing women therapists um, who helped me get to this, you know, place that I'm at right now. And I was complaining to one of them. I was, I, I said to her, I just can't feel gratitude. I don't know what that feels like. <laughs> she was like, well, talk to me about when you're looking at birds. And I said, well, I'm just noticing them for what they're doing. And it, like, I stop everything in my life to pay attention to them. And because they're so beautiful and I love them. And she was like, that's gratitude. <laughs> I said, oh, thank you for giving me the gift of knowing that I can feel gratitude. Because every time I look at a bird, it's just noticing a different behavior of the birds that come every day or when you see one that uh, you've never seen before. That's really exciting. During the pandemic, we actually had a um, pygmy owl that came outside our home and like both of us just were like screaming we we're like oh my gosh a pygmy owl that's so cool <laughs> <laughs> and it was. it was we had never seen one before and who knows if we'll see one since they're um pretty shy birds so it, it it's it's a meditative practice it's a gratitude practice and it's also just a way of connecting with the beautiful world around us um birds are everywhere and they're incredible little creatures <laughs> Oh my gosh, totally. I love that so much. And also that's such an interesting anecdote about gratitude because I feel like so much of what you've even just already shared in our conversation is like, to me, like oozing with gratitude. Um, <laughs> and what a cool reframe. Uh, I'm also laughing because we have deer in our backyard now and we get so excited about the deer that now I'm like, oh, maybe the birds are next. <laughs> <laughs> There's always an entry point. <laughs> We like shriek and giggle like you were describing. Like, oh my God, they're back. <laughs> yep. Oh, well, maybe I can get you a pair of binoculars for an upcoming, <laughs> as an upcoming present. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. My mom would be so thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about your work, which I am obviously very biased, but I think is very interesting. Um, I know for me, a huge part of what got me into what is now the ESG impact space was hearing Hannah Jones from Nike, who was like, I feel like a very like pioneering in this world, talk about like what her day to day was, like what kinds of things she did in a day. And you already alluded a little bit to this when you were talking about some of the different issues you worked on at Adobe. Um, but could you give us just like a sampling of some of the things that like one does when you're running ESG at a Fortune 500 company for anyone who might not know? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, first and foremost, it is not boring because <laughs> it's always changing and it's not, no two days are ever the same, um, which is one of the pieces I really love about it. I would say one of the foundational pieces of ESG and sustainability, however you want to call it, is really um, relationship building and collaboration. So, so much of what I do is um, helping, you know, or, uh, 
looking to understand what other people are already doing. Where are the intersectional pieces of, you know, how um, diversity might show up or maybe operational sustainability or privacy and cybersecurity, like sort of the, this whole range of issues, you know, how are those fitting into what um, people are already doing? And um, so, you know, in, in any given day, I'm, I'm meeting with people to talk about new ideas, how we might be able to implement them. I'm uh, staying on top of this fast moving regulatory environment that uh, is happening in ESG um, based on, you know, where your offices are. You could be under several, several different regulatory regimes. And that's sort of, you know, that changes a lot of what you end up reporting on. Um, I could be helping write pieces of our SEC filings uh, or other pieces of communication that talk about um, what we're doing in specific spaces, um, responding or meeting with clients who are asking about what we're doing uh, across ESG. And, you know, it, a lot, so much of, of this is, like I said, collaboration and really helping to influence uh, across the company, right? Because I don't, there, there's not a lot of different pieces that I specifically own, you know, when we're talking about, um, say, our employees and, you know, the benefits or what, um, but what I'm doing is reaching out to those people. So that's, I mean, I get to work with people all across the company and just helping to understand where our worlds intersect and how we can, um, how we can continue to improve and how we can best tell our story. So it's uh, fast moving, I would say, and inherently based on uh, working with other people. And that's what makes me so happy to go to my job every day. That's it, people. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. And that's so cool to hear. I think that like this, the like influence and collaboration piece of this is just like such a huge part of being effective at actually like both capturing all the things that are already happening, right? Like getting people to tell you what's going on, <laughs> but then also then in creating change and, and moving the needle across all these different issues. Um, and I personally like love how I feel like your political experience like translates really in, like interestingly to the work that you're doing now. And I'm curious if like, like what you would say you've learned about how we frame these issues, like whether it's like a political issue or sustainability issue or both from a comms perspective in order to inspire people to take action and do something maybe different than they would have done otherwise. Yeah, you know, it, it makes me think of one of the key, one of the key things I learned in my master's program um, where a professor said, what this field really needs are people that are, are translators. Mm -hmm. And what she meant by that was, you know, if you're a scientist and you're speaking to a policymaker, what is the common language or values that you share? And how do you translate those into something that um, both the scientist and the policymaker can understand? And when we're thinking about communications, that's of any kind, really, that's what you're really trying to influence, right? Is to say, where, where can we, how do we meet people where they are? And so for some people that could be starting to, to talk about specific issues for other people, it's framing it around their values, right? Um, it, because different things speak to different people. And so that is the same in politics. That's the same in uh, sustainability. That's the same in so much of, um, people who are moving to change things within organization is 
I would say meeting people where they are and translating whatever it is uh, to put it into their frame of reference, um, whatever that may be. So that's, I think, why those relationships are so important. And, you know, in the, um, in the campaign, we did something that uh, nobody else in that district had ever really done or tried before, which um, we actually had a team of people who were out there knocking on doors um, to speak to voters, uh, ask them about what mattered to them and um, see if, you know, they would consider voting um, for uh, our candidate. And it was really incredible to see people's reaction. You know, there were so many people that said, nobody has ever knocked on my door before. No politician has ever knocked on my door before. And we ended up knocking on nearly 100,000 doors across uh, the district, um, (laughs) which was a huge accomplishment. And we ended up moving the needle six percentage points, which had never been done before and hasn't been done since. So I consider, even though we didn't win the race, I considered that type of connection to have been really, that, that that mattered, that that made a difference to reach out to people in that way. Totally, totally. I think that's so cool. And I've never really heard the, the like sustainability like profession framed as like translation quite so eloquently and I think it's just so spot on in terms of <laughs> like okay I hear what you're saying I hear what you're saying I hear what you're saying like how can I translate this to like the language that like our investors will understand and our employees right. and right and get or us all on the same page for a, yeah looking what what are your customers and that's why I always am asking who the audience is because I think you really have to be clear on who your audience is because all of your audiences don't need or want the same same message, right? So yes, you can have some, it's not that you're saying different things to different folks. That sounds, you know, kind of uh, maybe underhanded, but it's, it's how you're framing issues, right? So a customer doesn't necessarily need to know the same things as employees do, but they're asking different questions. So I think just meeting your audiences where they are. Totally. Well, it's like, oh, sorry, I don't want to cut you off. I was just going to say, it's like, I imagine, I feel like I've been using a lot of dating analogies this week, but like, it's like you wouldn't (laughs) talk to someone on a first date the same way you would talk to your boss. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Maybe you would. That's like a whole different conversation. (laughs) Well, and I'm curious, and I know this is like an impossibly large question, and it's also going to be an impossibly large two questions in one, but I'm curious what you think like you know obviously what I find so inspiring when I look around and it totally depends on the day if I'm feeling like super optimistic about the future or less so admittedly this has been a tough week uh that we're recording this but like we need systemic change right on the climate crisis to advance and achieve more social justice in the world um these are like not small things, but I personally am inspired by like, I'm like, well, if all these like brilliant badass people are working on it, like maybe we'll be able to accomplish it. I don't know. TBD, uh, jury's out. But I'm curious, like if you had to identify some of the like systemic shifts that are going to be most important in creating the global community that we would want to see, what's some, what are some of the shifts and both on like the social side and the environmental side that you think are, are most critical in our short to medium term future. Oof. If only there was a key, right? Yeah. <laughs> that we could just unlock that door. Um, 
It's a big question, so I I can't presume that I you know have all of the answers. I I would say that something that the climate movement in particular hasn't perhaps done particularly well is really frame and envision that future that we want. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's been so much talk about reduction, uh, you know, and which makes people feel like oh, they're taking something away from me. Yeah. Right. But what really we're looking to create is, you know, a future where the air you breathe is clean, where, you know, the um, environment that we, the planet that we all rely on is is healthy, um, where, you know, the food we're eating um, isn't hurting the workers (laughs) that, uh, you know, are, are, uh, growing that food. I mean, there, I, I think it's sort of that vision of the future, you know, that we want to create or, and maybe not we, right. But it, that vision of the future, framing it in the ways that people want to see that would help galvanize people towards that. I, I, I don't think it's just a comms problem. Obviously there's really a lot of entrenched, um, you know, entrenched uh, ways of being that we're doing. But I, I would say that that's really connected to what I'd like to see in the world, right? Is having that vision of what the future looks like um, that that we do want, not just kind of harping on the bad things. Totally, totally. Well, I mean, there's actually like, I think a ton of research that I will not be able to accurately cite, but like from a coaching perspective, People, we are much more compelled as humans to move toward something we desire. Mm. Like that's a much more magnetic pull than the push away from something we don't want. Right. Which connects to, I would say, all the movements we're really seeing. You know, if you're uh, from an equity and equality standpoint, you know, what's the future we want to create rather than... uh, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Like, what are we moving towards? Not what we're moving away from. Right. And like, yeah, what's the vision of like, yeah, what's the vision of the new world and society that we want, as opposed to focusing on all the the broken things that we want to get rid of? Yeah. And I would say the other thing that kind of keeps me going, just thinking about it, is that there are thousands, if not millions of other people who are doing in ways large and small, you know, to change their little piece of, you know, corner of the world. And so that keeps me going often when other, when not, not much else does. Totally. Totally. It's, um, it's reassuring to think that like, we all have like our own little hammers and we're all just like chipping away. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm like so excited to hear what your answer to this question is. We're going to get even meta in a different way, even though I'm like, I feel like that word's I'm ready. It's been kind of ruined, but, um, let's do it. What advice would you want to give to your younger self? And you can like pick an age or give general younger self advice. I think it harkens back to something I mentioned before is really, yes, you're strong. Yes, you can do anything. And the lesson that's going to be the hardest earned for you is self-love and self-care. Mm. <laughs> that, is, that is something that uh, I didn't really understand and did not know how to integrate into my life until about two years ago. And it has made 
all of the difference. I love that. When I, I am going to not say your words exactly right, but you said something like, yes, you can do anything, but you don't have to do everything. <laughs> exactly. Which is where that self-love comes in. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, I love that. And your answer for this may be the same, but I'm, you might also have a different like quote up your sleeve. But do you have any favorite inspirational quotes right now? Oh, I mean, my perennial one, uh, as someone who is a longtime fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, in the immortal in the immortal words of Ru, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? Can I get an amen up in here? <laughs> <laughs> she says it every episode, and it's the best, and it's so true. Oh my gosh, I'm here for that. Um, <laughs> well, I know that you are a lover of both books and beer, uh, two things I also love. Um, and so I'm curious, do you have any like Stephanie's must read books and or must drink beers? Oh, oh man, we could have an entire episode on I know, we <laughs> each could. of these we topics. 100% could. We will maybe one day. <laughs> I'm here for that. Uh, in terms of books, two of the best um, books I read last year were both based on adventure. So that probably was sort of driven by that, um, you know, need to kind of have new things, um, <laughs> which was not always available in 2020, or, you know, see new places, which was not really a 2021 thing, I would say. So those two books were uh, Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead about a uh, female pilot and uh, back in the time of um, the Depression. And it just, uh, she was incredible. She set out to, it, it's fiction, um, but she set out to um, fly all the way around both poles uh, to do a circumnavigation that way. And uh, great, great book. Really, if you're yearning for adventure that you can't have right now, I can highly recommend that one. And then my other favorite book was, um, uh, so one of my favorite sci-fi authors is Ursula Le Guin. Uh, she's such a great author because she just takes things like gender and society and flips everything on its head. Um, in really unexpected and cool ways. Um, and she has a series of books called Earthsea uh, that she wrote actually for a um, young adult audience. And it is all about adventure, but with these sort of allegories of how to, you know, find and stay true to yourself. And oh, it just hit me right in the soul last year. And I loved every minute of every page of those books. Oh my gosh. Awesome. I know you've told me about both of those before and I've not gotten to read them yet, but they're like next on my list. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, and for beer, of course. Um, well, so my, you know, ever everlasting love for California, they are both California beers. Um, one is Almanac. Any of the sours or hazies from Almanac Brewery in Alameda, or also um, from Brewery West, which is in San Pedro in Los Angeles, California. And they have incredible beer. If you're ever in the LA area, I can highly recommend going to visit them because they're also very kind humans. Oh, I love that. I actually think I had one of their beers not too long ago when I was in LA and I did not know they were in San Pedro. So that is a great pro tip for next time I'm down there. 
Well, I could, I mean, we both know I could talk to you for hours and I already can't wait for the next time I get to do it at Almanac over Sours and Hazy's. Yes, um, please. <laughs> and in the interest of like keeping us generally on track and on time, I'm just going to ask one more question, um, which is, you know, I'm a sucker for an inspirational post-it note. Um, and I have dreams that one day there will be like a deck of post-its with all the inspiring phrases and reminders that women who've come on the podcast have offered um, to the collective. And so I'm curious, what would you want to have go on your Stephanie Dolmat inspirational post-it note? Oh, well, Liz, it was your post-it note to begin with, but what if it's easy? (laughs) We'll just bring it back to that. It doesn't have to be hard. What if it's easy? Oh my gosh, I love it. I definitely had a moment. I have a a neon sign up in my office that says dreams are coming true. And like maybe two days after I ordered it, I was like, oh, I should have put what if it's easy on the sign. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I mean, and if I could have another one, it would just be celebrate the small things. Mm. Um, And you can do it with champagne too. Why not? Yeah, here for that. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I, I, I know I've so enjoyed our conversation. I'm sure our listeners have too. Um, and I guess just last thing is, if is there a good way for people who want to like find you, keep in touch with you? Is there a good spot for them to, to follow you or track you down? Yeah, as someone who has recently quit most forms of social media, the only place left to find me and follow me is on LinkedIn. So awesome. find me at Stephanie Dolnat on LinkedIn. I'm pretty sure I'm the only Stephanie Dolnat in the world. So Amazing. Well, we'll include the link in the show notes just in case. But um, thank you so much for your time. This has been so much fun. I love chatting with you. Thanks, Liz. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is Liz.Best, that's L-I-S dot B-E-S-T, or you can find me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Liz Best. Join my mail list by visiting ElizabethBest.com slash monthly meditation, and you'll receive all the latest updates on events, retreats, and opportunities to work with me plus a monthly love note from my heart to your inbox. I am so excited to keep in touch and I'll see you in the next episode.